Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the unprecedented podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. It's Wednesday, December 23rd. Uh, Cliff and I are very happy to have with us today uh, incoming congressman from New York's 15th congressional district, Richie Torres. Um, long bio, but I'll give you the short of it. Richie is the, uh, I keep telling you Richie, I'm sorry. You know, it's really hard. Wait till you get older. It's really hard dealing with people who are like 20 years younger than you who are congressmen. You can feel free to call me Richie. It's not an issue. <laughs> it's just a very weird, like, actually, it's the reverse of don't you dare call me sir. It's like that yeah. whole issue. But um, Good. I'm sorry, but no, Richie is the uh, first openly gay candidate to be elected to the legislative office in the Bronx, uh, the youngest member of the New York City Council. His election to Congress made him and Mundare Jones the first openly gay black men elected to Congress. And uh, now your your wiki said you were the o- first openly gay Afro-Latino, but you're simply the first openly gay Latino, period, I'm assuming as well, right? Exactly right. I don't think we've had anybody else. So after yes. that list, uh, you just didn't believe in accomplishing very much when you're growing uh, up, right? So my understanding, I think there are three strides. So I'm the first LGBTQ member of the New York City congressional delegation. Right. The first uh, LGBTQ Latinx member of the United States congressional uh, con- delegation, and then one of two first openly LGBTQ Black members of right. Congress and the United States Congress. So those are the three. Well, well, let's start with congratulations yeah. and thank you for making <laughs> that place a hell of a lot more diverse. Have we never had an uh, openly gay member of Congress from New York? State? I'm not aware of any. Uh, New York City, New York City. For, but can. even from, from New York City, we have it. That's crazy. Uh, I'm not aware. Yeah. But the, the irony is that New York City, which is the birthplace of Stonewall, right. has never had LGBTQ representation in the United States Congress. And I love to tell people who would have thought the first openly LGBTQ member of the New York City congressional delegation would come not from Chelsea or the village or Hell's Kitchen, but from the South Bronx. Right. No, it's, you, a, it's, it's a pleasant surprise. So. Tell no, people really, I, go ahead, John. Sorry, I was going to tell people really quick, what is the South Bronx? Just because I lived in New York, but most people who yeah. haven't go, I know it's one of the boroughs, but yeah. what is it demographically? What? So the South Bronx is said to be the poorest congressional district in America, hmm. uh, as well as the most democratic. It voted for Barack Obama 96% in 2012. Um, if, if you know, if you've ever been to the Bronx Zoo or Yankee Stadium, yep. and you've been to the South Bronx. So my dad grew up a few blocks from Yankee Stadium. So that's, uh, yeah. my family hails from the area. Part so we're, we're home to the Grand Concourse, the Cross Bronx Expressway. And, uh, you know, even though it has a reputation as the poorest congressional district in America, for me, COVID-19 has shown the South Bronx right. to be the essential congressional district. It's, it's the home of essential workers who put their lives on the line uh, so that most of us could safely shelter, shelter in place during the peak of the pandemic. So. And now a word from our sponsors. This is the special for the holiday season. Just for our listeners, the Clean Phone, the top brand in UV sanitizing, is now offering their top-rated, top-selling, best-reviewed wand product at 50% off and free two-day shipping. The Clean Phone wand is a handheld UV sanitizer that helps you eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and kills viruses in seconds on virtually any surface. It uses the same proven sanitizing technology employed by hospitals. Use it on packages, groceries, keyboards, tablets, money. Take it. I love money. (laughs) 
everything. Oh, no. Money is pretty creepy, actually. With it the dirt. Take it with you everywhere at 50% off and free two-day shipping for a limited time. It's the perfect gift for anyone who needs it. It's super portable, and with days of battery life, you can take it anywhere and make sure your environment is clean and safe. COVID cases are on the rise. Get the clean phone wand at 50% off now, and they'll take 60% off a second wand. A great, ooh, a great holiday gift for family and friends. Go to thenewdealshop.com. That's thenewdealshop.com. And now back to our show. Now, you had COVID early on, I recall. I did, back in March during the peak of the pandemic. And Oh, wow, I didn't even know that. And I was the first member of the city council to be diagnosed with COVID-19. Did you get a, I don't remember, you, you, you were not asymptomatic, because I seem to recall reading that you were sick, but you got over pretty quickly? Uh, I, I was symptomatic, but it was manageable. The, the worst symptom for me was extreme fatigue. Yeah, I have several uh, friends who had that, yeah. Right, which meant that I got more sleep than I otherwise would have gotten. Can I Good. ask you a question? And you can not answer this if you don't sure. want to. But I'm, as somebody, I lost a cousin who was, she was in her 90s, who, who, you know, I mean, lived a great life, but still from COVID, who was in New Jersey and, and, you know, in a home. And when I see some of the certain younger members of a certain party that spent the last 10 months denying, you know, that COVID was as dangerous as it, as it is, and, you know, wouldn't told people not to wear masks. It's sort of enraging for me to watch that. You coming from your district with all these essential workers, these folks that just go out and do their job every day and make life possible for the rest of us who are in such danger. Does, does, and does that anger bubble up in you when you see young, healthy members of, you know, I'm just going to say it, the Republican Party and people, you know, certain people that denied that this, you know, was even a danger. Does that not anger you? Uh, it outrages me uh, because I represent a district that was hit hardest by COVID-19. That was the epicenter of the epicenter. And so if you, as far as I'm concerned, if you're downplaying or denying the risk of COVID-19, you have blood on your hands. Right? You're promoting misinformation that's costing people their lives. Correct. And you should be ashamed of yourself. You know, Richie, I wanted to just, I, one thing I wanted to start with was, and it's been interesting because I've been witnessing this online myself. I was agitating a few weeks ago that we didn't have anybody openly LGBT in the cabinet. Um, and especially for a secretary, we've had an openly gay cabinet representative with Rick Grinnell, which is not something to be proud of. Yes. Crazy. In any um, sense of that word. Yeah. But, but, we, but we've never had a secretary. When I told people that, they were like, get out of here, right? You know, but, but a lot of people pushed back and they were like, we shouldn't have litmus tests. It doesn't matter who they are. And I was trying to explain to them why it mattered. Then I weighed in about the Asian Americans because they were very upset that there wasn't any cabinet secretary. There's cabinet level near a Tandon, but, but not a cabinet secretary who was Asian American either. I waited on behalf of them, got the same pushback. I, I, tell people why it mattered. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got multiple boxes too, because you've got Latino, yeah. you've got black, you've got gay. Tell people literally why it matters, why it makes a difference. And it's not just a checkbox that uber liberals believe in. I mean, for me, it's, it's self-evident that all of us are products of our identities and lived experiences. Like who we are as individuals shapes what we do as policymakers. And we want people who understand the needs of the LGBTQ community to be in a position to set policy. You know, a wise person once said, and you've heard the quote before, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you're probably going to be on the menu. And the election of Mondaire Jones and myself means for the first time, LGBTQ people of color in particular will have a seat at one of the most powerful tables, the United States Congress. Right. And the appointment or the nomination of Pete Buttigieg 
as the Secretary for Transportation is a breakthrough for the LGBTQ community. Can I also um, add, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I thought you were done. No, that's I, I feel like it's so important. We've talked so much with, you know, for example, with masks about modeling behavior. And, and I feel like when it comes to, to the, you know, cabinet secretaries too, we're telling people what is acceptable in society. We're giving it, you know, it's kind of like we've talked about with Kamala Harris. So many young girls now are gonna be able to look up to her, young girls of color and say, I can do this. And I feel the same way with cabinet secretaries where it's sort of saying, no, you're not outside of the mainstream. You well, know, let me you can Cliff, let me ask Ricky that because uh, Ricky, I'm calling you Ricky now. <laughs> Lucy, um, <laughs> yeah, Lucy. Richie, <laughs> because um, uh, that's that was what I was gonna. I was curious which way you were gonna answer it because to me, it is a much more personal thing about visibility yeah. as growing right. up gay. And I am surprised as an adult gay man how much even talking about it right now, it's kind of giving me the chills talking yeah. about Pete being in the cabinet and why also Pete's race for the presidency mattered to me. I, I remember growing up as a kid and really not having any role models. And we've talked about it on the show and I don't want to go too long because we only have a Richie for a short period. But I've said on the show, when I was growing up, I had sort of figured out in my head being too smart of a kid that I was going to hit like age 30. Everybody would know I was gay. And by that point, I'd lose my family. I'd lose my job. And I'd probably have to kill myself. And that was like a decision this 15-year-old kid made thinking in this world, there's no way I'll be accepted. That's what really hits me. I was just curious for you, like on the personal level too, whether it's you, but also- People in your district are- Kids or, to see yeah. leaders that are black, gay, Latino, you know, uh, go on. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, I agree with you. I, I, I feel Pete Buttigieg and Mondeo Jones and I are an inspirational example of what's possible. Um, I, I represent the possibility that a poor kid and a black kid and a Latino kid and an LGBTQ kid from the Bronx can overcome the odds and become a member of the United States Congress. There's nothing more powerfully normalizing than visibility in politics and in media. And, and we know from the LGBTQ community's experience of the AIDS crisis, that visibility is not simply an expression of pride, it's a matter of life and death. Right, absolutely. Right, and it changes minds in, in addition to inspiring. And it saves lives. So I was just going to ask, do you have sort of a, yeah, so for when you get there, do you have sort of an agenda in mind already, or even just a few things that kind of top the list of what you'd like to, to get done? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to focus on the bread and butter issues that affect my uh, district. Uh, I'm a, you know, my greatest passion is affordable housing. So I'm going to advocate for an expansion of the housing voucher program so that families in need pay no more than 30% of their income toward their rent and are protected from eviction uh, during COVID-19. Um, I'm a huge proponent of the child tax credit. So the, the structure of the child tax credit at the moment is so regressive that it excludes a third of American families, the poorest families in America. And in the South Bronx, two thirds of American families are excluded from the full benefit of the child tax credit. So if we were to extend the child tax credit right. to the poorest families, we would cut child poverty by 40% in the span of a single year. Right. Uh, families struggling during COVID would receive up to $300 per child every month. Think of it as a permanent stimulus check. Uh, it's a game changer for struggling families in America. You know, don't, I was curious, don't, I don't know the Bronx, but I'm imagining there still is crossover from Manhattan and other boroughs. Is life still relatively expensive in the Bronx for poor people compared to, or working class people compared to other cities in America? 
It is. Um, I assumed. Because the rent is too damn high and okay, that's too what damn I was low. And, and New York City is ground zero for the affordability crisis. Okay, here you go. Right. The reason I'm asking- I a lot of folks probably still have to travel into and work in Manhattan too, which is exactly. crazy well, expensive. The, the, the reason I'm asking is because it has always hit me as absurd that whether it's taxes, whether it's, as you said, child tax credits, whether it is uh, uh, any kind of income programs we have, whatever, they aren't really adjusted based on where you live. So that somebody in, I don't know, Mississippi, Alabama, rural Illinois, I'm from Illinois, rural Midwest is getting the same benefit based on their income, whatever, that somebody in New York City is getting when it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more to live in New York City. Even the stimulus payments, right? Whether it's $600 or whether Pelosi is able to get 2000 that means that that's a hell of a lot more money to somebody in Alabama than it yeah. is to somebody in New York. And that's always bothered me that it's, there, there's a regressivity, I think, there as well, to be honest. Anyway, just to throw it out. A, a, a $600 stimulus check does not even cover the rent. Especially in New York. I think in New York, not even close. Yeah. yeah. Where were you on this? I mean, how, what was your feeling overall on the stimulus bill since we're talking about it? Well, I actually agree with Donald Trump on something. Uh, he's advocating <laughs> for, yes. for a $2,000. <laughs> like, uh, I, I never thought those words would come out of my mouth, but <laughs> I, I'm all for it. I, I, I support the Trump plan. Hey, he united the party. He's got you. He's got AOC. He's got Pelosi and Schumer yeah. and Bernie. That's, that's, that, that is bipartisanship. I can and believe. us. I mean, exactly. me too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if only he had expressed that viewpoint during negotiations, it would exactly. be more constructive. But what um, do you think of him? I mean, I know you obviously don't like him. I'm assuming, but but what's your take on Trump? Uh, he is as close to fascism as we've seen in modern American history, and he is the ultimate expression of white privilege because no person of color, no LGBTQ person with his level of instability would ever be elected to the presidency. It's yeah, a privilege I mean, unique to him. And the life he's lived. I mean, can you imagine some yeah. person of color who's like, I've had six bankruptcies and I have five children from yeah. three different wives. The racist stuff that would fly out from all of that is it's unimaginable, right? I mean, it's- yeah. But he, he is a, he's a masterful snake oil salesman. Yeah. Yes, and yes. look, it, it comes as no shock that he's reacting against the election results and attempting to overturn them. Right. But what I find striking is that Republicans at every level of government are eagerly doing his bidding, not because they love him, but because they fear him. Like for me, it's a definitive sign that Donald Trump has a profound psychological grip on the Republican Party. It's, it's no longer a traditional political party. It's a cult of personality around Donald Trump himself, right? Trumpism is the ideology of the Republican Party. What does that mean going forward for Democrats trying to work with Republicans? Can we? Uh, I, I'm not so optimistic. And, you know, take, take the stimulus checks. I'm convinced there's actually a bipartisan, bicameral, filibuster-proof majority for expanded stimulus checks. The greatest stumbling block is Mitch McConnell, who refuses to bring it to the floor for a vote. Because if it were brought to the floor for a vote, there's no doubt in my mind we would have the votes on both sides of the aisle. But as long as he sets the agenda, Mitch McConnell sets the agenda in the United States Senate, it's going to be a real ceiling on how far we can go in moving the country forward. So those two seats in Georgia are a necessity for bold progressive governing over the next four years, or, or actually, especially over the next two years, right? because we're going to have a challenging midterm election. Right. Are you going to do it? Do you have any plans to do any campaigning there or... or even raise money online or anything of that of that nature? 
Um, you know, I've been doing my part in, in raising funds, but obviously um, uh, my fundraising ability is far less than <laughs> my uh, than other members of Congress. You sell yourself <laughs> short. Come on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're we'll, we're going to we'll work with you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, you know, one and, I, and we've only got a couple more minutes, actually, because Richie's got another meeting he's got to jump into. But, um, you know, and this is actually a wider discussion that maybe we'll have you back. But one of the things Cliff and I are always concerned about is sort of the future of the left and that there's a lot of uh, I think there's a growing there's a growing infighting going on that yes. sometimes makes Cliff and me feel like we don't even belong. And we're still good progressives. I think we're not even we're not conservative Dems by any mean. And. We feel like I mean, moderate for that. Sometimes we feel like we're being forced out because we're not even considered, uh, you know, I don't kosher what word to use. Like we pass all the litmus tests, and I, I don't know. I mean, if you uh, initially, I thought you were far more left than you are. When I first heard about you, I just assumed you're New York, you know. And although we know from New York too, that doesn't mean being left. Obviously, look who you defeated in the primary. Ha ha. Thank you. Uh, thank you for stopping Ruben Diaz. We appreciate that. I, I consider it a great public service. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, all. what's your third of thought on where the left is going these days? Because I think there are growing battles. People like to say they're healthy. I'm not sure they're going to be very healthy. I'm afraid we're going to really be at loggerheads, all of us with each other. Look, we need a strong left in America. You need a progressive movement that exerts pressure on the establishment, that creates space for elected officials like me to move the ball as far as we can, as much as we can. But we have to be careful not to let progressive purity be the enemy of progress. And we have to remember our, our adversaries are not fellow Democrats, it's Republicans. Like the difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party is not marginal, it's profound. Right. And I, 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 it frustrates me at times when I feel like there are elements on the left that spend more time demonizing Speaker Pelosi right. than the Republican Party. Right. So you won't be you like sitting, the, you, you won't be holding any sit-ins in Pelosi's office in the next two weeks, is what you mean. As far as I'm concerned, Nancy Pelosi is not the problem. Mitch McConnell is the problem. Yeah. Especially and, this and, 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 the and, and, and the fact that she is the target of demonization, in my opinion, reflects yep. insidious sexism. Yep. I think it's sexism. I think it totally yep. it, it's all the people that never worked on Capitol Hill and no understanding yep. of how. You're right. I mean, Mitch McConnell's the one who, who jumps in the way and does this. Um, well, it's why it was beautiful. She jumped last night and said, sure, president wants $2,000 yeah. checks. I'm Let's there. Let's do it. Because people were yeah. blaming her online. Everybody it, was blaming her saying Pelosi only got 600. And I'm going, like, what? What planet are you living on? Yeah. Like right. the, 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 there's only so much you can accomplish in the face of the obstructionism and the malevolence of Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Correct. Um, You're dealing with people that are that honestly have such a level of malevolence that yeah. they're willing to let people die. They're willing to yeah. let people not get a vaccine, willing to let people not eat, not have affordable housing, as you point out. I mean, yeah. you know, it's kind of hard to negotiate with people like that. It's not easy. Yeah, just we curious. just have to be careful not to devour our own. And, yeah. And that's that's my concern. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Cliff. Yes, you John. Know, our sponsor, BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, not to be confused with the other ways of spelling the word help, knows everyone desires to love they do that. BetterHelp knows everyone deserves to be happy, and so many people are struggling right now. BetterHelp wants to provide professional help with ease. You'll never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. They assess your needs with a few questions and match you with a licensed, professional, board-certified therapist. Start communicating in under 24 hours, connecting in a safe, private, online environment. I actually saw an ad for this on okay, TV. Okay, service, yeah. Well, I saw it on TV and I went, oh my God, our advertiser's on TV. Um, send a message to your counselor and receive a timely response. 
Schedule weekly video or phone sessions, whatever is most comfortable for you. Anything you share is confidential. If you want to try a new therapist, it's simple and free to switch. BetterHelp says they are more affordable than traditional off, uh, offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Start living a happier life today. You'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash sexy liberal. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health by going to betterhelp.com slash sexy liberal and receive 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sexy liberal. Hey guys, you know, it's impossible for the planet to sustain the billions of N95 masks being discarded. Billions and billions, actually. I've seen a lot of them lying around. It's, you probably I have do seen too. actually. It's gross. Yeah. So as you know, it's it's a difficult time, and nobody wants to spend a few dollars in a mask every day that just need to be discarded or reused at their own risk. Well, we have a solution. That's why Dan Castle launched Castle Grade, makers of the last mask you'll ever have to use or buy. The Castle Grade mask is reusable, FDA registered as an N95, easy to clean and dishwasher safe. It doesn't wrap directly over your mouth like cloth masks, affording you the ability to breathe easier. It won't fog your glasses. That's actually a big pain in the ass when I wear yeah, sunglasses. It is. So I like that. The soft silicone doesn't leave marks on your face. Visit castlegrade.com and enter the discount code SEXYLIBERAL at checkout for 10% off your first order. That's castlegrade.com and use the code SEXYLIBERAL at checkout for 10% off. And now back to our show. How, you know, and this may be our last question with your time, but I, I was reading and you seem to have a rather nuanced position on Israel that is totally in line with Cliff's and mine, but I think is starting to fall out of line with many people on the left. You tend to be a little more in the middle, I would say. And how you're from the Bronx? I'm, how did you even get I mean, involved? I mean, in this I mean, I, I mean, I have what I consider to be a mainstream position on Israel, which is favoring a two-state solution. Right. That oh. We should have a two-state solution that gives both Israelis and Palestinians the dignity they deserve. Um, the goal should be coexistence, not conflict. And and I'm a critic of the BDS movement because it is incompatible with a two-state solution. The goal of the BDS movement is to abolish Israel as a Jewish state. And that to me is incompatible with the true progressive position, which is a two-state solution that respects both Israelis and Palestinians. But I'm also against against settlements and annexation uh, because it undercuts a two-state solution. So for me, what is best for a two-state solution? That is the most important consideration. No, we're with you. Not I, at least personally, well, I can say we're not very friendly at the notion of Netanyahu. Because I no, think he, I mean, he's neither am I. Israel's reputation. Yes, um, he's got some of those very same yeah. fascist tendencies, and yeah. seems to be somewhat of a criminal too. So there's that. I, I, I do not love Donald Trump or his equivalents anywhere in the world. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what we need more yeah. of. Um, do we have anything else, John? I don't. I mean, there's lots more, but I mean, can you go a couple more minutes, or do you really? Yeah, have to get I off can. Think? Oh, if you can't, okay, that's fine. I yeah, wasn't cool. sure if Raymond was jumping in going, boss, get off the thing. Um, so the uh, uh, Cliff wanted to, actually, Cliff wanted to ask you about the, the mayor's race in New York City. Oh, yeah, I, was, I, I, I don't live there anymore, but I grew up born and raised in New York. So I'm kind of interested in you, how you see that shaking out if you think a progressive can get elected. I know Max Rose is now in, and there's there seems like everybody's running. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. My thoughts is it's, it's a fluid and wide open race. Um, you know, the two most established names in the race are Eric Adams, who is the default frontrunner among African-Americans, particularly in central Brooklyn, and Scott Stringer, who is the default frontrunner among progressive whites, particularly in the west side of Manhattan. Yep. Um, you know, 
there are new candidates like Ray McGuire and Maya Wiley um, and Max Rose, you know, who could potentially, who, who are, I know them all, who are all charismatic personalities who yep. could potentially catch fire, whether they will is an open question. You never know. Uh, the person who does have the potential to reshape the dynamics of the race is Andrew Yang, uh, because he brings a national celebrity to bear on the race. And right. you know, I didn't know he was getting in. Is I he getting in? That. He talked about it, didn't he? It, it, I mean, there's a rumor circulating that yeah. he's going to run. And if he runs, he could reshape the dynamics of the race. Huh. So even as an outsider, uh, uh, do, so, you, so do you my, want to my, that? I mean, he's not from New York, is he at all? My understanding is he is from New York, but but oh, okay. But, but neither is Bill de Blasio, neither was Michael Bloomberg, yeah. oh, and neither was correct. That's true. Neither oh, is okay. my friend Fair Corey enough. Johnson, right? So Fair enough. It, yeah. And, and uh, with the Clintons, New York is a New York is a cosmopolitan city. We'll no, all you're New right. Yorkers. It's a city of immigrants, even if it's immigration <laughs> from the rest of America. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you come from suburban Boston, right? Like so, so my my initial take is, um, you know, Eric Adams and Scott Stringer are early front runners. Maya Wiley, Ray McGuire, Max Rose are wild cards or not to be underestimated. Right. And then Andrew Yang could be could radically reshape the dynamics of the race. So this yeah. is as fluid, as wide open a race right. as you can imagine. That's interesting. And I thank God every day that I'm not running. So. <laughs> you yeah. think you're going to endorse somebody at some point or are you going to stay out? Um, I feel like I will endorse because it is the most consequential election in the country. Like America's largest city is in danger of becoming a shout of its former self. And I genuinely believe that the future of our city will depend on what happens in Washington, D.C., and what happens in the next mayor's race. Let me pivot to Trump again in a second. Do you think, should should we hold Trump responsible in some way after he leaves office? And there's a lot of levels to that question because I'm not saying revenge. I'm saying yeah. I worry, Cliff and I have often expressed the concern that we worry about the next Trump coming in a few years who's smarter, not yeah. as psychotic. And basically is yeah. way more disciplined, way smarter, less narcissistic, and that he's able to pull off he or she so much more than Trump did because the big lesson from the Trump era is you can do anything and get away with it. Um, Fear. So look, I want to be careful not to become the very evil that I seek to resist, right? So I am. I never call for the criminal prosecution of political opponents in the abstract. Good. If he is found to have done something wrong and to have committed a crime, which I suspect he has, right. uh, then he should be held accountable because no one is above the law including the president of the United States, but I would wait for the results sure. of a criminal investigation and I would leave it to the professionals to make their determination. You, you know, I, I have something of a contrarian view on this. I know, you know Donald Trump was as close to a fascistic president that we've seen in modern American history. He was a stress test of American democracy. I feel like the system prevailed because Congress and the courts and the bureaucracy, which he caricatures as the deep state, were largely effective at reining in the excesses and extremes of his presidency. Uh, he was often frustrated by the system of checks and balances. So ironically, our dysfunctional political system, which gave him the presidency through the Electoral College, often at times paralyzed his presidency. Um, so in a weird sense, the system did work in holding that's, him accountable. That's a good point. But, you, but there are, would you say- like you the, the, Go ahead. Yeah. Like the, the, you know, I was concerned when he was first elected that his presidency would mean the apocalypse for the social safety in America because Republicans at the time were in control of both houses of co Congress. And it, it would be a lie to say that that has happened. Um, I think the Democrats in both branches of Congress have been effective at, at obstructing the worst of the Trump presidency. Not with everything, but on many things. 
do you think there should be sort of a major reform package at some point coming forward? Because while we did prevail and the institutions held, obviously we saw in some places that things were just based on history or yeah. based on, you know, oh, of course you'll do the right thing. You know, you'll re all presidents will release their tax returns because why wouldn't they? They always have that kind of stuff. Could you see there being major reforms going forward? Look, I'm not clear that you could design a political system that eradicates fascism. Um, you know, at some level, the success of a system like ours depends on on the right people in public office who respect norms. Um, even yeah. the founders thought the system was every bit as dependent on personal virtue as it was on structure. That's um, a good point. You, know, you, you can have a perfect structure, but if you have a fascistic personality occupy the presidency, it's going to run into challenges. Good point. Are you confident that, see, I, I agree with you that it is interesting to frame this as a stress test, because as I was even asking you the question, I was thinking, you know, we did win. I mean, Trump did get defeated. That shows the system is working. But I still worry, as I said, that next time, maybe it doesn't work. Not only maybe does he win because he did too well, but all the, the roadblocks, the, the way they're going about trying to steal the election Honestly, it's the Senate that's been, ironically, it's been Senate Republicans that have taken the wind out of Trump's sails, Mitch McConnell especially, which is bizarre. Look, it's, it's, it's frightening to me. Like the death of Donald Trump's psychological grip on the Republican Party is terrifying to me. And it's terrifying to think, but for Biden, Trump could have won. Yes. And but for the pandemic, Trump would have especially won. Especially the a, pandemic, I think. It took right? a once in a century yeah. economic and public health crisis to derail the presidency of Donald Trump. Well, and, that and that is terrifying. Yes. And say. a bizarre response to that pandemic. Yeah. Had Trump right. responded to the pandemic as a normal yeah. president, at a nor maybe he could have won. Or, or if a stimulus check had been sent the week before yeah. the election. Yeah. Uh, it, that, so I, I am I'm I'm relieved that he lost, but there are deeper trends in American politics that worry me. What do we do about him? I forget the Trump uh, vengeance or yeah. justice thing or whatever. I'm talking the body politic. I, I think we are more divided. We're divided, of course, because one party yeah. has gone crazy. But what do we do? Because I don't know. I don't see how we move forward because they've been taken over by the nuts. And I just don't know how we fix that. Look, I feel like our politics has often been co-opted by the extremes. I think the right antidote to Donald Trump is Joe Biden. I feel like he's going to have a, a calming normalizing effect on our politics. He's gonna lower the temperature. And I feel like if if we govern effectively for the next two years, especially, uh, then we can put the worst of the Trump presidency behind us. Right. Have you been a Kamala and, fan? Uh, she's, she's dynamic. And I just love the prosecutorial approach that she has to yeah. politics. Uh, no, we do. Yeah. I mean, we we both like her. We each. I was for Buttigieg. But, but, but I, I, I have a bias towards strong women because I'm a product of strong women myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> well, but I, I do have to. My that's okay. Staff, you gotta so. go. That's right. And, yeah, and, we're, gay, and we're gay too, is, which we love the strong women thing. Of course. Thing I'll say, it's, it's true. From, Smart strong from, women are like yes. Yeah, yeah. because <laughs> you're from the South Bronx. I just I have to ask the last thing. Go okay, Yankees, and then we'll let you go. Right? I'm sorry. Go Yankees, right? Of course. I'm by definition a Yankees fan. Uh, although go. I'm so committed to diversity that my chief of staff is a Mets fan. See, there you, go. you so don't I, understand what he just did, John. I mean, where I grew up, that's, that shows impressive. Uh, um, yeah. Or is that Good blasphemy? So if I can tolerate Mets fans, then I probably can tolerate a few Republicans. Republicans. Okay, well, so the last act, if you can find right. us another starting pitcher, that would be awesome. Absolutely. But in any case, 
Thanks. Thanks. I'm not a miracle worker. Have a good one. Yeah. Thanks for right. being on. Thanks, Richie. Friend. This was great. Appreciate it. Take care. Oh, oh, and we lost him there. <laughs> that was fast. Ah, that was good. He's interesting. I'd, I'd not uh, spoken with him before. We had communicated via uh, Twitter and stuff, but um, uh, I see him. I mean, very measured. I love, wow. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm in love right now. Wow. He's incredibly well I mean, <laughs> measured. But it's not just Ooh. the charisma or whatever. It's that he kind of sees, I mean, uh, he sees the world the way we do. Yeah. Like I, I can't stand the, the, especially, you know, on the democratic side, when people line up behind these barricades and decide they're going to fight it out with each other. And there's litmus tests that if you're not for this, you're, right. you're, uh, you're evil. If you're not for that. And the fact that he still is very progressive, but it's like, Hey, let's remember who it is we're really fighting yep. against here. Let's remember what it is we need. To, I mean, and you know, even his position when it comes to Israel and, and, and the two state solution is exactly what I believe, you know? Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, okay. saying, I, I'm very surprised, though, because like, uh, you know, black, gay, Latino from Bronx, I just would have, I really thought he was going to be, uh, you know, part of the AOC squad crowd when I first heard of him. Mondaire, right. may, Mondaire may be the other, uh, the other man who won. I just uh, hope none of them define themselves again. When you start defining yourself by squad or we're like a centrist caucus or we're that, I think that's what the stuff that I can't stand is that leave yourself, you know, have some allies, but leave yourself open to, yeah. you may think that something a little more conservative makes sense on this. Yeah. You may think something a little more socialist makes sense on that right. and, and liberal in between. Just, yeah. you know, that's what I wish they would all no, do. That's, that's why actually, I like him. That I would get you. <laughs> I would agree with you on that. I think that's where identity causes a problem. Ironically, people tend to think it's the black identity, the gay identity, you know, your, your ethnic identity. The foreign identity? Sorry. Foreign identity. No, but I people think know. it's your, it's your ethnic identity. That's the problem. And they don't realize, I think it's, it sometimes maybe can be your political identity that becomes more of a straitjacket, not your- We all know, because you and I have been on listservs, we've been places, we, you, you certainly, everybody sees it on Twitter, you get to a point where you're suddenly no longer allowed to say this. If you do, it means you're a bad yep. Democrat or a bad, yep. because of who defines what yep. that is and what you're allowed to be for. And I, that's the right. stuff, you know, to me, if it leads to more people, he brought up housing, having affordable housing, if it leads to more people having an income so they can afford a, a good lifestyle, if it leads to all that stuff, I don't care where the, the ideas come from, right? right? I mean, if you can get a majority and it moves things forward in a progressive direction, it's good. Yep. Now, do you wanna, I, we're not, I don't think we're going to go too long today because Cliff's got to run to his, do stuff with his kids and I've got to do some errands. Haha. <laughs> but um but also it's two days before Christmas. We didn't, not, not we didn't have much to talk about, but I think we wanted to talk a little bit about that Kraken meeting at the White House that happened the other day. And she's still going. Kraken meeting. That lunatic was going into the White House again, actually into the residence yesterday where the president lives. Um, Cindy Powell, the lawyer who was sort of kicked off the Trump defense team and now has become part of his inner circle just to, just to go full circle crazy, right? They got rid right. of her two weeks ago and now Trump's pulled her in as his closest advisor. And the interesting thing is, like, he's even losing the Rudy Giuliani's and Bill Barr's and Mike Pence's over that. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's that Axios piece where he's pissed at everybody. Um, he's pissed at McConnell for coming out and saying Biden's president-elect. He's pissed at Pence because Pence is the one in our democracy who has to sit there and certify the congressional vote. Um, on January 6th. The, elect yep. the Electoral College on January 6th. Uh, so he's kind of losing it about all of these. You know, and, but so he, he's really at this point where he can only have the craziest of the most lunatic of the just most ridiculous. It's like the fringe of the fringe of the fringe of the fringe. Right. It's like Lynn Wood and, and you know, uh, whatever her name Kraken is. Kraken lady, Sydney Powell. Yes. Like there's like nobody left. What do you think he's, but what do you think he's up to? We had agreed, we had agreed early on that we didn't think the guy actually thought he was going to win. 
Do you think he's, is he just still trying to build such an apex of, oh my God, I can win, I can win. And then that the day he loses, he says, see, they stole it. And then there's an eruption of anger. Is that what he's going for? I think sometimes his, um, let's call, I don't know how else to put it, mental um, disabilities, his problems, his issues, yeah. um, you know, the, combine with his interests. So let me explain. In this case, first of all, he's going to be in debt a billion dollars within a few years. He doesn't, they don't have the money and it's in their interest to bilk every last cent out of their supporters who are crazy enough to think, you know, who keep sending in checks because they think that they're helping Donald Trump fight this thing. Right. Well, that dovetails right. nicely money. with the fact right. that he can't psychologically accept that he's lost because then is Mary said on our show, Mary Trump, because then in his dad's eyes, he's a loser. And that's, you know, that, that's the worst thing you can be in the Trump family. So yep. it's that I think certain moments where he has more lucid moments, which there aren't many of, he accepts he lost, but I think then he just goes nuts, especially if somebody supports him on Twitter or somebody comes to him and tells him a story he likes about how he might really have won. Like th that motivation to never accept psychologically he's lost fits well with, with um, making, you know, making money off it. But as I've right. often pointed out, and I think, you know, Richie made a good point there too, Fascism doesn't just come around sort of accidentally. You know, the, the peculiar forms of authoritarianism that take place in countries are based on not only those countries' histories and cultures and whatever, but the unique issues of the individuals that embody that fascism. Yeah. Hitler was different from Mussolini, Mussolini who was different from Franco, who's different from Suharto, who's different from Ferdinand Marcos, and we can go on and on and on. And, and so Trump's own sort of peculiar form of, of, of you know, trying to blame everything on conspiracy theories and this and that, you know, that's, that's who he is. And so he's always been, you know, and I think that that's what well, the authoritarianism there is that he, part of it is just that he can't accept that he's lost. Right. And I don't think that's going to change after he's gone. But well, yes, and honestly, he's he is making money. I mean, I could literally see this being just about with him, especially, but it could literally be about money going, dude, we just raised $200 million. If you push this for another three weeks, we could raise another hundred million. Like why not? Well, and when you're going to be a billion dollars, I mean, you're going to see these guys are going to do like the trashiest of trashiest things once they get out of the presidency. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To, to earn money. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, they'll go speak at a Klan rally for half a million dollars. So, I mean, there's nothing they won't do because, again, the bill's going to come due at some point. And somewhere there are going to be a lot of pissed off people not getting paid off, who I'm sure are not the nicest people in the world. Yeah, as always. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. It's it's predicting exactly what Trump will do is impossible, but I think you always know that that he the the sort of how he's addled emotionally, plus how greedy he is and how daddy is. Yep. You know, the dad explains most of it to me. Yep. Yep. Um, maybe the last thing we can just talk about briefly is going into Georgia, uh, the problems they're having, uh, Trump having turned on McConnell, all of that. Um, I was, you know, and I, I think we did talk about this in a previous episode that I was surprised. Trump didn't early on take the lesson from the election being, why did the Republicans all do so well except me? Right. All the congressional Republicans did way better than they, they, they won all the races they were supposed to lose. Guess who lost the race he was supposed to win? Donald Trump. Yeah, that means Mitch McConnell that. and the Republicans defended themselves. They didn't defend me. Yeah. And he even tried to claim, in what, I think it was in a tweet or whatever, that he's the one that he's the reason McConnell won, which yeah. again is ludicrous. Connell won because he happened to be running in Kentucky and not Illinois. Um, but yes, you can see that anger. It's seething. He claims he wants the, the two to win, Leffler and Purdue. 
but he does everything he can attacking McConnell, other stuff to undermine them and furthering the civil war with the, you know, in Georgia where he's fighting with Kemp and he's fighting with Raffensperger right. and the rest of them. So, I mean, look, there may be a perfect storm. I hope. I know some people are saying, oh, we can't win there. I think if people get out there, they work hard, they keep doing everything they're doing and give money and time, whatever. Like, I really do think two polls came out that showed us up. Obviously, we're not trusting every poll we yeah, see nowadays. these days. Yeah. But you happen to have in Purdue and Leffler two uniquely terrible candidates who lack any charisma, who are completely corrupt in one story after another about the insider trading and the, I mean, Jesus Christ, investing in a company that that, that made body bags before they told anybody about, that would be on every <laughs> ad I'd be putting out there for Christ's right. sake. I mean, so when you combine that with the right. work Stacey Abrams has done and the, all the people getting involved, celebrities who realize how important it is for us to win those, you know, let's reenact Hamilton online and you can right. give you combine all that together and you combine Trump stoking a civil war, I think we got a good chance. You know, I, you know nothing's done, you know, nothing's guaranteed and we could lose them. But I actually really think in both of those races, we have a really good chance because of this confluence of events. Yeah. So L let me ask you maybe one final question. So if we win one of those races and not two in Georgia, that leaves us one seat away from a majority. Which Republican senator do, do we, or independent senator do we try to pull over to caucus with the Democrats so that we have a majority? You, uh, at that point, you offer either um, you, you you offer either Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania or Burr of North Carolina, both who've announced there that they are uh, not running for re-election. Both of whom have Democratic governors. Right. You offer them something in, in the administration. I mean, have we picked, I don't know. Have we picked a Secretary of Commerce yet? I almost leave that open. <laughs> um, who was the uh, no the Latino man that was just picked was our education, I believe. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they have or something right. else. I don't you know something that maybe not be complete cabinet level, small business administration. I don't know. You know, I'm not sure of everything that he's announced. Or you offer them God. something, and you offer them a big seat in Congress as well, running a right. committee or something else. Burr and Toomey, you know, Burr was the one who ran the Senate Intelligence side from the Republican yeah. side. He did actually release honest, you know, accountings right. of of what happened. Mm -hmm. Toomey is, has been, you know, was one of the first to congratulate Biden. No, they're both right wingers. I don't love either of them. I wouldn't give them a position right. anywhere otherwise. But if you can get us a Senate seat, right. that I, I'd be doing that. The Murkowski only other Murkowski or Romney. Yeah, the only other hope is Murkowski or Romney or or Collins. Right. You know? Collins is probably so pissed off at this point. I would, can't imagine her. So, so really, to me, it's get one of those two Republicans that has a Democratic governor or offer Collins something. Get her the hell out of there. We've yeah. got a Democratic governor of Maine, too. Well, saying, even though she out. won, it doesn't mean she wants to stay. She may That's be correct. fed up with all of this. Get she somebody, won, but it was still not fun. Right, and get somebody get somebody out of there where a Democratic governor can appoint someone. Right, right. That would be what I'd be aiming to do. Those three come to mind. Um, I don't think, you know, Romney's, you know, Romney's not going to, and Romney's state is, is a Republican governor in Utah, Republican governor in Alaska, or is independent. I think it's whatever. I, I, there's no other state that I can think of offhand where, we could get somebody who is com not uh, completely well, you crazy Republican. Just the point. You convince them to caucus with Democrats. And well, no, you convince them to leave by taking a position in the cabinet. Well, something no, that's saying that that's the one option. But if they've got a Republican governor, then you convince them to stay and caucus with Democrats. Correct. I don't by think giving them a committee any, chair or something else. I'm not sure there's virtually any chance of that. If Lisa Murkowski, after all the things Trump said about her, all the times he insulted her True. personally and all that, didn't start leave and start caucusing with us while he was there, I don't yeah. think she's going to do it once he's gone. Remember, wasn't, Although, the, the, wasn't she the, the one they threatened at the beginning of the administration? She, she was. The only, the only yeah. side part of this is if one of them felt like he was enough of a threat if they want to run for re-election, and Murkowski's up in two years, she felt like Trump's enough of a threat that she'd lose in a Republican primary, and if she came to our side, she'd be able to win. That's the only 
right, right, case. Right. Whereas Romney, I don't think I, I, he's more popular there than Trump is, right? Because of the Mormon factor and all that. I don't think Trump can threaten Romney, right? So, right. All right. Oh, I keep yawning. All right, John's I'm yawning. Tired I think today. I know. Oh my God. Well, that was. Oh, that was good today. I have no idea what John just said. Very good. No, I, he's great. I really liked him. He was good. Yeah, very interesting. Very, I mean, I, it's, it's, I was trying to slow down just talking to him because I was like, God, you are so measured. I know. And what a down-to-earth perspective. My God, we just, I just, yeah. that's what I like. Just more of that, please. Yeah. <laughs> even, I, I'm trying to think of who he, I can't even think of who he reminds me of the way he speaks. It's just very, um, God. I have to think about that. He looked like somebody. The, like, measure, the measuredness of. is what I mean. That controlled speech. Yeah, you know, like who, that, it's who he looks like here. It's, it's I love people who can speak. That like was that. a good get, John. We need more, more yeah, good that was folks great. like that. Yep. All right, guys, um, we're gonna sign off. Good to see you all. Uh, it's Wednesday, yeah. So Merry Christmas and all. Merry Christmas, and then we'll be back before the right? new year. Yeah, we yeah, Hanukkah's over, so we don't have to wish that anymore. Okay. Kwanzaa. I'm not sure when oh, it is, but Eid? It, I know I never quite know when these things. Sorry, are. folks. I, I'm theoretically Estimus. Jewish, and I forgot when 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 Hanukkah was. I'm not good about these things. Happy everything. And we'll be back before the new year so we don't have to wait. Yeah, we'll at least have one show next week because, again, holiday gets a little weird, and then we'll just pick up again after that with our regular. So we'll at least do one next week. Let's see how the news goes. Well, with with Trump, who knows? We may have huge amounts of news. I know. All right, guys. All right. That's it, guys. Thanks so much. Goodbye. And now a word from our sponsors. The holiday season is the one time of year we all indulge in our favorite traditions, John, and we feel like kids again. No matter what you celebrate, everybody shares the spirit of giving, whether it's giving gifts to our favorite people or spreading cheer to everyone around you. <laughs> I'm hearing giving and spreading, and of course, my mind is immediately going oh to. Oh my gosh, yes. yeah. <laughs> not the best choice of terms right now. <laughs> giving, spreading, sharing. This year, give yourself and the ones you love an opportunity to look as young as the season makes you feel with Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. Visibly reduces wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in just minutes. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines, those dreaded number 11s, and crow's feet. Take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes. The results will last for hours, so you can relax, surrounded by loved ones, knowing you're always looking your best. Even better, Plexiderm doesn't involve any visits to a surgeon, and it's cheaper than a round of hot cocos for you and your loved ones. You can try a six-application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit buyplex.com backslash sexyliberal or call 800-685-1292 and say the code sexyliberal. This order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Visit buiplx.com backslash sexyliberal or call 800-685-1292 and say the code sexyliberal at checkout.